Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Jake in the Paint podcast. I'm back with my dad, and we're going to talk a lot of NBA stuff today. Um, I have I waited until the first two games of each series to come on here and give you all my opinions, because if I would have came on here on game one, after game one of the Warriors game, I would have said some stuff that I probably would have regretted 24 hours later. So I'm on here with my dad. We're going to talk both Easter Conference Finals series, post-lottery, how the lottery shaked up and who where I'm going to give you guys my lottery mock. It's kind of mixed in of what I think will happen combined with what I sh- think should happen. I can't seem to pick a side between the both. So I'm just going to give you a balance of the two. And we're also going to talk things we hate about the NBA, i.e. officiating and how they're going to need to clean that up during the offseason. Two main focal points about that. But overall, just a lot of NBA talk. Like I said, I brought my dad back on the podcast. He's very excited got the first one under his belt and should be a great episode for you guys today. So first off, post-NBA draft lottery, Suns with the best odds, they get the number one pick. And then we go all the way down on the order. We have Suns, Kings, Kings jumped into the top three, the Hawks, then the Grizzlies and Mavericks each jumped out of the top, uh, fell out of the top three, Magic at six, Bulls at seven, Cavs have the Nets pick at eight, the Knicks stayed at 9, 76ers have the Lakers pick at 10, the Hornets are at 11, the Clippers have the Pistons pick from that infamous Blake Griffin trade at 12, and their own pick at 13, and then the Nuggets round out the lottery at 14. So, I honestly think there are a lot of teams in unique situations in this year's lottery, and this year's draft, sorry. I think you have... As we've heard on ESPN already, they're already talking about it, ESPN, Fox News, the Suns, and we haven't had this in recent years, the Suns have a big dilemma at number one, You can seems to, they've seemed to narrow it down from what we've heard to DeAndre Aiden, the big man, dominant big man out of Arizona, and Luka Doncic, the sensation from Serbia, is it Serbia? I think it's Serbia, check that, I can't get that wrong more than twice. He plays for Real Madrid, but I think he was from Serbia, same home country as Goran Dragic. And the interesting storyline about that is the new coach that the Suns just hired actually coached Luka Doncic in the past Summer League championships overseas in which his home country took down the gold. Luka played up with the national team as a 19-year-old. Slovenian, my bad, Slovenian. I knew it was something with the S. So, Slovenia national team actually took the gold, which is pretty rare for them. And Luka and Goran Dragic led them to the team with the guidance of the new Suns coach. So, that's an interesting storyline. But it also, Aiden, dominant big man from the home state of Arizona. So, they're going to have a choice to make there. Um, Doncic, today, let's talk about this. You, you're the one who brought me this, told me the storyline right when it came out. What do you think about, like, the number one who do you think they should take honestly I'm gonna give you my mock but I'm gonna let my dad talk who do you think he should t- who do you think the Suns should take at one well if I'm the Suns I'm taking uh Aiton I think that for starters the first thing that news today I, I don't care how you want to spin it that that's huge I, I guy- don't know I did I downplayed it a lot more than my dad because when I first saw the headline I was like oh he's trying to maneuver his draft spot I don't know like Maybe he he just likes it in Real Madrid. I didn't really think it was that big of a deal. I feel like we see those reports a lot that they're unsure. I didn't I didn't really take that into account that much. But I mean, if he does stay, I think that has a big domino effect on the rest of the lottery and rest of the draft. 
I think guys that teams need all of a sudden won't be on the board and they'll be a pick they'll be gonna pick shorter. So if he does stay in Real Madrid, which I think is highly unlikely, that provide that creates an interesting situation. So I just think it's a, a, a huge question mark. You're looking at drafting the guy number one or number two, mm-hmm. and you're not sure whether or not he's going to actually come and play. So, so can't, can't I, I can't have that, Ricky Rubio again. Uh, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of interviews, a lot of conversations with him and his people to kind of get a sense as to whether or not um, he's just making noise or whether or not it's real. I don't know. I think it's interesting that he would put that out there. I don't think you put that out there unless you're really serious about it because there's no point in doing that. But I also don't realize why he'd be serious about that. Like, you're the one or two pick. Like, your draft stock's not going to get much higher. And if you say your dream is to play in the NBA, like, I don't understand why you'd pass up this opportunity to try to maneuver and finagle what team you're going to get on when the NBA has a draft lottery and you have no control over what team goes into the top three. So I think, I don't know why he would do this. I'm not inside his head, but I think he's being pretty stubborn. And I think he should just enter the draft and, if he's true to his words, follow his dreams. I, I listen. I, it's you would imagine it is his dream. Um, he's going to get the opportunity, like you said. He's going to be the number one or number two pick. It's not going to get better than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was definitely caught by, by by surprise when I saw that. But with respect to the Suns, I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, Aiton's a beast. Yeah, you can't. Uh, but you, I think it's really hard to pass up on that production at the highest level at the NCAA. I think it's I a mean, difference maker. I yeah, think at the end of the is. day, you put a guy like him in the in the middle of a lane. Um, sure, is this a three point shooting league? He, he shoots the is. ball. He shoots the ball pretty well for a center. I think he, I he doesn't. I think he Jaron Jackson shoots the three ball a little bit better, but we'll get into him later. <laughs> I think he shoot. I think he shoots at a higher clip than Bagley. He shoots at a higher clip than Wendell Carter. All the guys are kind of trying to take the threes, but Aiton was actually pretty consistent for a center. Um. Yeah, he sh- he showcased it all. You can't really. There's no really argument against him. I'm if he can bring back some real big man old school moves mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I think that would be a great. Uh, you know. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think he reminds me of Anthony Davis. I mean, that's a, a big comparison, but I think it's just their play style. And I think give him five or six years in the league, I think he'll be just as versatile. I really do. I think he has a great f- foundation of a skill set. I don't think he's that defensive presence. That Anthony Davis had coming out of Kentucky, but I also don't think Anthony Davis had his offensive skill that Aiden has. I mean, Aiden, I mean, real consistent hook shots with both hands, consistent finishes. He's built like a beast. He can shoot the three already. Like, he's further ahead on offense, much further ahead than Anthony Davis was. So I think if Anthony Davis, I don't think he'll ever be the defensive presence, but I think he's going to be a guy that's going to end up going for like. 26 and 14 a game at the peak of his career. Listen, at seven feet tall and 240 plus pounds yeah. as a 19 or 20 year old. Do, do guys, we, guys got room do to Did we grow. get the body fat percentage on that? No, I did not, but I can uh, tell you he's going to be 270 I in heard, a couple of years. I heard that's a huge stat that affects your draft stock nowadays, the body fat percentage. How about a broad jump? Has the broad jump do that? I don't that, know. That's, that's I don't know. How about, how, about, how about the jump where you, uh, you stand in place and jump as high as you can and touch a stick off two feet? That's I heard NBA some NBA scouts are telling me that's a basketball play that helps you out in the real game. Despite the tape. Scratch the tape. I saw that guy jump pretty high. Well listen, every single time you have a jump ball, you're gonna want that guy in there. Exactly, for you. exactly. Anyways, carry on. We'll stop hating on NBA scouts. That was all sarcasm, by the way. Um I'm gonna give you my lottery mock. So I have Aiton going number one, like we already covered. He's a beast, can't pass him up. 
And then I do have Doncic going too. I don't buy his hype right now. I think he fits in really well with the Kings. I have him playing at the three. So I was t- I tweeted this earlier. I mean, yeah, the Kings are the Kings, so they'll probably find a way to be bad. But you have Fox, Buddy Heald, Doncic, Harry Giles, if he can get healthy, Willie Cauley-Stein. I mean, you have pieces. Oh, you have a lot of pieces. I mean, and that's how that's how the sh- that's how the shift starts in the NBA. I mean, it takes time, but all these draft picks accumulate eventually. And I think the Kings get Doncic, they're very happy. I don't know why he's listed as a point guard. He's 6'7". He's not fast enough to defend a point guard. Um, I definitely think he's a playmaker. I don't think he's a point forward. I don't think he's like Ben Simmons type point forward where he just is actually going to bring the ball up the floor. I think he's more towards the LeBron type point forward where he's going to be off ball. Maybe LeBron brings the ball now more. But LeBron in like his prime where he was off the ball but still facilitating, I think that's the kind of effect he has on a team. So then I also have Bagley going three to the Hawks. I think for me, I always talk to my dad about this. I think there's a clear cutoff after those top three guys. I mean, I think Bagley was a beast all year. I really don't like his critics saying he's just a pure athlete. I think he showed off his, he has a really good handle for a big man. He can get to the rim. He runs the floor well, and he just has good. I mean, I get that they hit him on defense. I went over, we've been over that. They hit him on defense in the corner of the two, three, and that was a bad look for him. But his offensive intangibles in an offensive-built league are really hard to pass up for. And they say he's a tweener, but I really think he's a four at this game because I think he's athletic enough to guard those stretch fours, throw him in a situation where he has to guard a pick-and-pop guy like Harford. I think he can handle it. I think, And at the end of the day, he's a beast rebounder. So that narrative that he's too scrawny is false because he's a beast of a rebounder. And he also has soft hands, good offensive skills. Mm-hmm. I, I I love the guy. I yeah. really do. I was I was supporting him. To, I was on in the camp that he should have been the first pick, until he until I really saw Aiden like go off. Because I had always been the camp that Aiden was kind of overrated, even when he was in high school. Because I didn't really get to see his full skill set. That was really unfair of me to say. But we got the chance to see his full skill set, Arizona, and it's extremely impressive. So here's where the draft gets like interesting. I think because. Your consensus next two picks are two big men by the name of Jaron Jackson Jr. and Muhammad Bamba. And if you've been following my tweets throughout college basketball, you know that my draft philosophy is to draft based on production with a balance of upside, but I would never draft a guy that played 20 minutes and averaged 10-5 and and couldn't stay out of foul trouble. That would be Jaron Jackson Jr. So... With the fourth pick, I do, like I said, the top five is my what I think is going to happen be, just to get those guys off the board. I do think the Grizzlies are going to take Jaron Jackson because he is 18 years old. He's 6'11", 240 pounds. He's a presence around the basket. He's a huge shot blocker. Shot the ball at about 40% from the free throw line, uh, three-point line. So he's your true space it out four. I mean, and who's their starting power forward right now? Jermichael Green? Yeah. I mean, they need everything. They, they, they need there's everything. not a player that they don't, a position they don't need. I mean, look, you take a look at like, the starting lineup for Memphis, and I mean, Dylan Brooks, fine. Um, you know, probably that was a good draft pick. I think what last year or two years ago. I, it was last year. Last I think year. they got him in the second round. Um, so I think that was a good pick. Tyreek I mean, Evans. Who knows what this guy's ever going to end up? 
you know, ever amounting yeah, I see, to the I contract. Do I see Aaron Harrison? And Andrew, you see Andrew, Andrew Harrison? Andrew Harrison is a starting point guard. Yes. All right. So we, that, that's all you need to know. Aaron I, Harrison and Jermichael Green are both starting on this team. They need everything. And so I, if I am the Grizzlies GM, I'm taking Michael Porter Jr. Because he has star power. I think he's a star. He, And he can change around a franchise, in my opinion. But I think... With dealing with injuries, they just dealt with Gasol's injuries. Porter has been questionable, and I think it'll just be a repeating cycle for them. They'll draft Jaron Jackson, they'll be terrible again, and they'll be right back in the same position next year. So I think that's how it's going to go down, and I do think the Mavericks are going to take Bamba. And the interesting thing about Bamba is, I had people say, like, who do you prefer, Bamba or Jaron Jackson? And like, I, I want to say Jaron Jackson because he showed me something. Like, he showed potential, and he showed offensive capability. Like, Mo Bamba, if he's not dunking the ball, he's really having a tough time scoring. Like, he, you can say, oh, he's 7 feet tall, he can just do a post hook. Like, no, he gets bodied. He's 207 pounds for a 7-footer, and he really isn't that skilled on offense. But if I were to pick between the two, I'm going to have to say I would go with Bamba just because I feel like his ceiling is much higher, and if you're going to draft on ceiling, I think Bamba's your guy. Actually, so I hear you on that, but at the, the end of the do day... Do not get that confused with the fact that I would take either of them in the top five. I would not. I'm just saying what I think is going to happen, and I have a hard time thinking that the Dallas Mavericks are going to pass up on either of those two guys if they're on the board. So here's a question I have for you. So we saw Jaron Jackson play in the Big Ten tournament. We've seen him play a bunch of times. If he somehow had stamina to play more than 18 I, it's minutes not a game... It's not stamina. It's not stamina. It can't be. Well, th- there has to be something. It's, that Why? is the biggest red flag to me of all red flags. The fact that you only played 20 minutes a game and you're supposed to be this highly touted NF- NBA prospect. Like, your team theoretically should need you on the court. I agree. He just wasn't on the court for the last five minutes of the Syracuse game. He wasn't on the court when they played Michigan. I was like, thank God he's on the court. But he, well, he just isn't on the court. I don't understand that. If you have that big of a presence to be a top five pick, how is your team not benefiting from you being on the court? They literally benefit half the time he was on the court and half the time he was not. That's role player minutes. I agree. So my only question is, is if for, if there's a reason behind it, maybe he was hurt. And there's, we don't there's know. a reason behind it that I do not want to be a part of. Oh, that's as, as a top five picking in the top five, you need a superstar. Now, hold on, not, the but the question was Mo Bamba or Jaron Jackson. So what I'm I think Mo saying Bamba, is, I think Mo Bamba is a better chance to be a superstar. I okay. think they're both boomer bust guys, and I think Bamba has a better chance. Oh, let me rephrase that. I think Jaron Jackson is a boomer bust guy. Okay. Because I think Jaron Jackson is a tweener between the power forward and the center position. I think he stretches the floor well, and you can say, oh, at the very least, he'll be a guy who can run the pick and pop and defend the rim. But I look at Mo Bamba, and I'm like, at the very least, he can maybe pack on some muscle and have a Rudy Gobert type effect as a just a rim protector. Straight up rim protector. And that's at the very least for him. And I think there's a small chance he can put together an offense and become both sides of the ball threat. And I think he's definitely going to be the better player out of the two of them. But anyways, I would not take either of them too. If you know me, you know I would definitely take Trey Young. Not the Mavericks, but they. But if I'm the Grizzlies, I'm definitely taking Trey Young or Michael Porter Jr. Or Wendell Carter. I think Wendell Carter is the third best big man in, the, big man in this draft behind Bagley and... Anyways, moving on down, I think the Magic go Trey Young. That's kind of been the. I mean, oh, take that back. I'm looking at ESPN. Get ESPN out of here. 
I can't be, I can't do ESPN right now. Um, I think the Magic are going to take Wendell Carter Jr. Um, like I said, I think he's the most polished, not the most polished, but I think he's ready for the league. I think he's shown consistency. He's been able to, he anchored that 2-3 zone full of shitty defenders, uh, Gary Trent Jr. and Marvin Bagley. And he anchored that 2-3 zone where they were able to play it and get away with being a decent defensive team just because he held it down at the middle. I think he has that old school big man game. You're looking for an old school big man, like he's your guy. Post up, has the low mid-range, can space it to the three sometimes, tenacious rebounder. I think he's his all-around game as a big man. I think he's one of the safest picks in this entire draft. And I think the Magic are done taking risks with guys like Mario Hazonja and Jonathan Isaac. I think they're going to go with the safe pick, and that's Wendell Carter. And then we have the Bulls at 7. And the Bulls, I feel like I feel like the Bulls are a team you want to go to if you're a new prospect getting drafted, right? Well, first of all, it's a great city. You're, you're so, in Chicago. You're playing for the Bulls. They have some story to them. Yeah, I mean, they're, in. their it's, team, they have Markin and Zach Levine. Like, they're not horrible. No. Not horrible. And Chris could, Dunn. You could be also a destination place. If you can put the whole key, I think, to these teams is you have to figure a way out to draft a couple of quality guys, mm-hmm. build a small core, and then, get some and, then and then you can attract the free agent. Yeah. No free agent in this day is going somewhere that doesn't already have an established core. Yeah, it's 100%. just not happening. 100%. We've seen it with everybody. So, And Zach Levine was hurt for the majority of the year, but when he did come back, he was playing very well. Markkanen kind of hit that rookie wall we talk about all the time, but he, great pick-and-pop big man, was rebounding the ball too, doing his thing. And then Chris Dunn. I mean, I was, high on, I was really high on Chris Dunn when he came out. Clearly wasn't in the right situation with the Timberwolves. Went over to the Bulls, kind of having the same struggles where he can't really score the ball. But he's figuring it out as a facilitator. So I think for me, the pick right here is clear, and it's Michael Porter Jr. Like I said, if you'd heard me talk, or does, right, he not, does he not kind of clog things up with Markin or Markin in such a, a Markin is still deep a big threat. man. Markin still a right. big man. Michael Porter Jr. In case you didn't see the combine today, he measured six ten and three fourths with shoes on, so he's almost he's a quarter of an inch away from six eleven, which is Kevin Durant's height. And I've always compared him to him and to Kevin Durant. I've compared Trey Young to Steph Curry. I want you guys to know that I was on that way before anyone else was. I watched them play together on their AAU team together, Mo Can Elite, when they were both juniors in high school. And I said that's that's Steph Curry and Kevin Durant. That was the that was the first year of them playing together and they looked exactly like them on the court. Michael Porter is just a professional scorer and that's what he's going to get paid to do and that's going to be his job for the next 15 years in this league. He can put it on the deck, he can pull up, he gets great elevation from his jump jump shot. He can finish at the rim, he's crafty and also with the dunk. And at the end of the day, you need a score. You need a guy who's capable of scoring 20 25 points a night. And if you look at this Bulls roster right now, I don't know if they have that guy, but I think they have pieces that can make them relevant within a couple of years. So I think if Michael Porter Jr. is on the board, he fills that small forward hole that you need. I think he's a three. And I think you develop a nice little core with and Michael Porter Jr., Levine, and Laurie Markkinen. And I said it on the podcast last time, I, I think Michael Porter has a chance to be the best player in this draft. And I think I hate the fact that he's getting overlooked because of this back injury, yes, it's a bad injury, and yes, he didn't play. But I think 
there's certain guys that you look at and watch them in high school and you're able to label that, like that guy's an NBA superstar. For me, Jason Tatum was that kind of guy. You could just see it. Um, Anthony Davis was that kind of guy. Yes, I was nine years old watching, eight or nine years old watching Anthony Davis play in high school. I've, I've been doing this a long time, you guys. Um, also, I mean, and I'm not just saying that because he was the number one overall prospect. Like, we saw Andrew Wiggins play as the number one overall prospect. And I don't know if you guys know Akil Carr, the crime stopper from Baltimore. Guy's 5'6", and he took it upon himself to guard 6'7", six, 6'8", six, Andrew Wiggins for the entire game, and Andrew Wiggins got locked up for three and a half quarters of the game. Um, he kind of decided to play, but I think he finished like 14 points on probably 5 of 20 from the field. And so you'd ne- you, it would be impossible to walk away from that game saying Andrew Wiggins is an NBA superstar, proven by my scouting skills when I was a fifth grader. He's far from an NBA superstar right now. And so that I just think Porter, at first glance, he passes the look for a guy that can change a franchise. He's 6'10", and with the athleticism and scoring ability that he has, I think it's a crime that guys like Jaron Jackson are getting picked ahead of him. But that's the world we live in where we draft off upside, and I don't know when Michael Porter didn't have an upside, but apparently he doesn't. So I think he's going to be there for the Bulls, and I think they snag him. you have any thoughts on that? You know, I think the one thing you always have to factor in are injuries. Um, it's hard enough for these GMs to figure out who to pick based on skill, um, temperament, how they're going to react to being a pro, all the other things that come along with it. And you add in injuries and a back injury at that. Um, it's hard. You're asking him now to go up against grown men. He plays a physical position. He's not necessarily a point guard. He's going to you know, be bagging with some really, really big, strong guys over the course of the season. And all he needs to do is go up for one shot or go for a rebound and come down on his backside. And who knows where his career is. So uh, I think there's a something. A back injury is not like that. Of course it is. You fall and you bruise your back like you that? You could fall and you can bruise your that's back. Not, so that's not what it seemed like. It seemed like a strain. It could be, but any, I'm just saying. Any, I'm just I, saying I don't like that. Any, player, any single player can come down and take a bad step and tear their ACL. I, I think, yeah, injuries, that's definitely a factor, but I think he's fully recovered. I think that if he's he was— fully recovered. And maybe he'll end up going higher, but if he, if he played last year, even if he played half a season— I think he if, he went from, top, if he went from high pick. school, he would have been a top five pick last right. year. If he went from high school. Right, so people are just nervous at the end of the day. He's still going to end up being a top ten pick. Um, and if no, he, and, and, yeah. and if, I don't know. And, there and are rumors. We talked about earlier. Our latest up, rumors. <laughs> if our he ends up falling, he, you know, he might pull a Josh our Rosen latest, and say he might have nine teams that, you know, that are going to regret passing on him. Our, the latest rumor is Michael Porter Jr. could be falling as low as to the bottom of the lottery. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be interesting? Uh, I, my Knicks are. If the Knicks, our, pa- our, our Knicks are if sitting the there Knicks at, at pass nine. Pass on so. Michael Porter Jr. at nine. I don't care who they take. If they pass on Michael Porter Jr. at nine, I don't know if I could be a fan anymore. That's just horrible. That's horrible. We'll see you the Knicks draft. We'll get into the Knicks in a little bit. We're we're just hoping for a good guy. Honestly, at this point, uh, we've gone through too many, too much. I just don't want much. another bust. Anyways, moving on down in the Cavs. Big pick for the Cavs. They have the Nets pick. They got it. 
in the Kyrie trade. It seems like it's the only thing that they still have from the Kyrie trade. Shipped out Isaiah Thomas like it was nothing. Shipped out Jay Crowder like it was nothing. But they do still have this Nets pick. And everyone thought it was going to be a top three pick. The Nets said, hold up. Don't don't disrespect us like that. Young core Spencer Dinwiddie and company ended up having a pretty good end to the season. And they got all the way up to eighth in the lottery. So the Cavs have an eight pick, but they're still in a really good situation to get their guy. And I said it on my last podcast with Sam. I think the Cavs need a superstar to stay relevant. I don't think they have time to get a guy like Mo Bamba where he might take years to develop. I don't think they have, they just can't afford that at this point in LeBron's career. I think LeBron is staying and I think they're going to need to take a guy like Trey Young to keep them relevant. Because Trey Young, if you look at the issue right now, it's that no one can create other than LeBron. So LeBron, we'll talk about this later in the podcast when we go into depth about the series, but basically LeBron is creating every single possession on offense. So in turn, he's either taking possessions off on defense, which kill them because they already have mediocre defenders in J.R. Smith and Kyle Korver on the floor because they can't get scoring from anyone else. And it just makes LeBron less able to score because he's worrying about facilitating facilitating to his teammates that can't do anything. So I think Trey Young provides you with both a scorer, because Jordan Clarkson forgot how to put the ball in the basket, and same with Rodney Hood, and George Hill, and your point guard is George Hill, and that's not okay right now. If you want to be a team competing at this level, I think Trey Young takes some weight off LeBron's shoulders as a facilitator and a playmaker, and I think he also carries a scoring load and provides them with a versatile look where he can actually space the floor and guys can't pack the lane in on LeBron because if you're guarding Trey Young and you help in, that's a kickout three that you can't afford or you have defensive rotation where Trey gets a three and a look at a three. And let's not forget, I mean, Trey did finish the year shooting about 35%, 36% from three, but I'm very confident that if he got more catch-and-shoot looks and they weren't pull up with a guy's hand in his face from eight feet behind the college line, I think he would be shooting a much higher percentage. I think he was the best three-point shooter in college basketball last year, and I think he will immediately be one of the top three-point shooters in the NBA. So I think that's a huge pick for them. I think if Trey Young is on the board, they can't miss him. He may not be there. They may go to the Magic earlier, but I think if Trey is there, I think it's a must that they take him, and they walk away from this draft very happy. Do you think that LeBron has the patience to deal with somebody like Trey Young? who has a tendency to be a little bit out of control, who has a tendency I mean, to jack up threes. I mean, are you going to completely change Trey, who he is when the first time he steps into the NBA? Trey did what he did last year based out of need. That was the best. It was best for the team for him to take those shots. I don't care what you say. It was best for the team to take his shots. If you watch any Oklahoma game, those teammates were absolutely horrendous. They couldn't make a wide-open layup when he gave it to him. If they could make a layup, he probably would have averaged about – 12 assists on the year instead of 7. So if he, they can make a layup, maybe he would pass them the ball more. I do not justify his crazy three-point attempts that he did sometimes, but that's what he did for them to win. So I think he knew that, and I think in some games he realized he needs to facilitate more, and he did that. There was one game at coming after he had jacked up like 40 shots, and then he came in and he was like 2 of 3 from 3, 8 of 12 from the field, got to the line, facilitated, and they won. So I think that was a big game for him because he was able to find his balance between make doing what's right for the team while also showcasing his skills and doing what's best for the team 
from a personal standpoint. I don't think LeBron, I think LeBron would much rather have the patience or whatever patience you need to play with Trey Young than have the patience of watching the Cavs take another big man to come off the bench or another swing man that's just going to not play a pivotal role. Like, LeBron only has three, four, maybe, years left of this, max. And so the Celtics are coming and the Sixers are coming. So in order for them to stay relevant— those those guys are here. They're not coming. They're here. Fair, fair. They're here. So they're already here. So even more to my point, they need someone who can make an immediate impact. They don't have time for a project— I don't think Trey Young is a project. And before you move on to the next one, do you take Trey Young if you think that LeBron's leaving? Yes, because I think he's the best player on the board at that time. Okay. And I think you're in a situation where you're drafting if you're not if LeBron's not there, you're drafting best player possible to try to jumpstart your organization into the next phase of post LeBron. And I think Trey Young's your guy because I think like Michael Porter Jr., he provides some star power at that stage at that point in the draft, past your top three. And so I think those two guys are going to be very key for whichever teams they go to. Okay. Moving down, the Knicks. Macau Bridges is still on the board, and I think that's a must for him. He's a great two-way player, 3 and D guy at the very least at this level. I think it would really... I really hope they don't take a point guard from a fan standpoint because you like how many chefs you want in the kitchen? How many? I don't understand. I really don't. You take... Nitsilakina, and then as a point guard, and then you figure out that he's actually not a point guard because he can't score and he can't get to the basket by himself. Yeah, so he also gives up the ball. So we're gonna play him. Court. So we're gonna play him off the ball, so he can be like kind of a defender and kind of a facilitator. But he can't have the ball in his hands because he has a loose handle, and he's too slow. Things the Knicks knew and everyone knew about this before they picked him over Dennis Smith Jr. And refused to acknowledge. So then we bring in Trey Burke. Trey Burke actually played well, but who knows? Like, if any point guard is getting the amount of shots Trey Burke is getting in the system, who knows what numbers they put up? I listen. I think at the end of the day, your your point about having just a plethora. Oh, of and point did, did we forget Emmanuel Mudiay, another true point guard that we have yes. on the bench? So I listen. I I think. Either McCall or Miles. I'll, I'll take either Bridges. I as think McCall Mac- 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 is safer. They're both safe. I like them. They're both safe. I like both picks. I like. I'd prefer McCall because I think he's more polished and he's sp- and he shoots a three at about forty four percent, which is really damn good. No, I think. Listen, I think you slot him in there uh, with Porzingis, Cantor. Um, you know, at the center you have Hardaway. Um, I think all of a sudden you have some more guys who can space the floor, some guys who can cut and can slash, open things up. And you start opening things up, and let's say Trey Burke is your point guard, all of a sudden he can get into the lane. I mean, that mm-hmm. guy, let's not forget. I think he was number eight draft pick. Um, loved him at Michigan. You know, the one thing he can't do great is shoot threes, but if you leave hey, the open he's, lane, he's playing, he is quick. He, he was quick, shooting the ball pretty quick. well. He was, no, he was but he's, he's quick. That Anyways, guy can get to the best. Point, point of the story is it would be – pointless to draft another point guard in Colin Sexton to just add another point when you already have some and you have some stashed and hopefully of the three you already have one can be a serviceable point guard I think Macau or Miles also are both the picks here then then we have the Sixers and like the Cavs I think the Sixers are also in a very good position this draft I think 10 maybe 11 12 there's a very big cutoff especially at the wing position, which they need. Ben Simmons is their point guard of the future. And 
Joe Embiid's your center of the future. Dario Sarch is your power forward of the future. And for the time being, J.J. Reddick's going to shoot threes for you. And but and Markel Fultz. The Markel Fultz haters will say they need Colin Sexton, but they didn't even draft Markel Fultz to be a point guard, so that would be very stupid to take a guy that's a true point guard and ball dominant. They drafted Markel Fultz to go off the ball of Ben Simmons and be a professional scorer, which I have a lot of confidence that he will be. Anyways, they need... You're watching that series and you're like, damn, like the Sixers just need one more guy to like go next level. And they need to, to replace Robert Covington, who somehow forgot to hit a shot in the last series against the Celtics. And was basically horrible all playoffs long. So I think the pick for them is Miles Bridges. And I think they're walking away from this draft very, very happy that they can get Miles Bridges. Because he's coming, he's coming in, he took the extra year, and it was a mature decision of him to take that extra year. And a lot of people are saying, oh, like, that didn't really benefit him. Look at his draft stock. It's the same. Like, but I personally think that he didn't feel comfortable that he could play at the NBA level and contribute at the level, at a, at a rate that he thought he, his skill allowed him to last year. So he made the mature decision, came back to school, worked on his body, worked on his game. And I don't like the knock that, like, he didn't improve over last year because I know that there are many GMs that would have taken him in the lottery if he left last year and basically he duplicated his numbers from last year so if you were going to take him in the lottery last year and all he did was come back and show you that he can do that consistently over a two-year span why would you pass on him for that reason so I think Miles Bridges is going to come in and he's, he's going to be he's going to give them heart intensity athleticism a defensive anchor, he's going to crash the boards, and I think he's going to give them a much-needed boost that they're going to need to keep up with the Celtics. He'll also add some IQ, Tom Izzo yeah. product. Yeah. I think he'll fit right into the system. And I think the one thing that they are missing... Also, is, he also can slap the floor really well. <laughs> they're missing Jason Tatum. So this could be We're their past answer. that. We're past that. We're, we are past that, but We're you're going to need someone. You're going to need someone who's going to be able to guard him and play against him. And I think Bridges is, is is definitely one who's yeah. who's going to be able to do it. I think. Look, God bless him to be able to join that team. <laughs> he's just not only not this. only are they in a good position. I mean, that guy just got a gift. I mean, whoever that gets drafted by that by them is it's just to me nothing will ever top Jason Tatum going three to the Celtics. No, no nothing tops that. You don't top that. No, you don't. You I mean, go one pick, two picks, like even Markel going to the Sixers. Like if he can pan it out, like you're you're top three pick. You're supposed to going to like a shit team in a shit market. Like you're supposed to be going to Phoenix. Listen, God, God bless the guy. You're not supposed to be going to the Celtics. The, the, the process, and at some point in time, we'll we'll just have to have a whole conversation about Danny Ainge and everything that he created on that team. You could have a whole podcast dedicated I mean, to the greatness of That guy is just absolutely Ainge. a positive genius when it comes to being a GM. You can't ask for anything more. He he, I mean, he created the big three. Then he realized that the big three was over. Got and, rid of him. And he realized absolutely fleeced fleeced the Nets yeah. and he for a lifetime. That, yeah, yeah, that trade still hurts. Them. And now. I won't say he's he he didn't necessarily fleece the Sixers, but at the end of the day, he got the guy he wanted All and long. got some additional draft picks. Jason Tatum, no matter what, Vontae Vontae Mack, no matter what. Yep, Jason Tatum, no matter what. I mean, he wanted him all along, got some good value, and was able to get him at three. So then, moving on, this is my surprise pick at eleven. Um, you look uh, the two best prospects to me 
on the board right now are point guards in Colin Sexton, Shea Gilge, Alexander. But you have the Hornets at 11, and they really need a wing, and they're two, two of your top wings, and both the Bridgeses are off the board. So I'm going to go with a guy named Kyrie Thomas out of Creighton. And Kyrie Thomas has been one of my favorite prospects all year because he fits the bill of what we're looking for in the NBA today. He averaged 15 points a game on 40% from three, and he was the best on one of the best on-ball defenders in all of college basketball this year. So he fits your 3 and D bill. He's 6'4". He can jump out of the gym, fits right in as a shooting guard, maybe undersized, but his defensive skill set definitely makes up for it. I don't know if he'll get all the way into the lottery this high. I don't think he will. But if I was in this position with the guys that were on the board compared to the guys that were off the board, he's definitely a guy I would look at. I love this guy's game. He goes balls. He goes all. He goes very hard. He gives it his all. And you need lockdown defenders in this league, and he's definitely one of them. So what are you telling me? Just go. Oh, you didn't have anything. Yeah, you you haven't watched Kyrie Thomas. Only no. only the real, only the blog boys have watched Kyrie Thomas. Then we have the Clippers. They have their double pick, and they're in a really good position, I think, because they get a point guard upgrade with their choice of either Colin Sexton or Shea Gilch Alexander. I gave Colin Sexton the slight edge. I think his demeanor is going to carry him to a very successful NBA career. He just has that look when you look at him that he's like, I'm just going to go out there and I'm just going to kill you like no matter what. And he shot the ball from three better than people would have thought. He attacked the rim, and he just has that killer instinct. So, And the Clippers are a team that missed the playoffs by one game. So I think if they get Sexton and then with the 13th pick, they add Kevin Knox. And Kevin Knox was supposed to be Kentucky's go-to guy. Shea Gilchrist-Alexander kind of filled the role towards the end of the season. But Kevin Knox, in their signature win at West Virginia... He took over, and he was that prospect that we thought he could have been all along. Again, he was inconsistent, shaky ball handling. But at the end of the day, he's a 6'7 wing who can shoot the three, attack the rim, and score from all three levels. And I think that's what they need in L.A., and I think they'll be very happy if they walk away with a point guard and a wing in Kevin Knox and Colin Sexton. I would be if I was the GM of the Clippers. Well, I think it complements what you know, what they have and what they need. You've got DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan as a center. So if you add a point guard who can, you know, lob it up every once in a while or penetrate and dish off, uh, I think that's a huge home run. They've got shooters already with Austin Rivers. Lou Williams, clearly a great scorer. Austin Rivers. So, so you know, at the end of the day, I, they're, they're not lacking shooters. So I think they need someone to run an offense. They need a wingman. Um, and I think it's, they can get those two at that at that position. Um, given a little bit of the drop-off that you're going to start to see, uh-huh. uh, I think that's solid. Yeah, Can't go By wrong way, there. I have to note that one of the most disappointing moments of me, of my basketball fan career, is the Austin Rivers career that just never took off. I f- saw Austin Rivers play when he was in high school. He played at Georgetown Prep in the na- what's now the Geico Nationals, was the National High School Invitational down at Georgetown Prep. I fell in love with his game. He dropped the most quiet 35 points from a high school player I've ever seen in my life. You kind of you didn't feel like he wasn't at the game, but you kind of felt like he was getting locked up, and then you checked the stats, and he shot like over 50% with five threes and gave them 35. And I fell in love with this game. We saw him play at Duke, that classic Florida State game. Austin Rivers ties it up, and then Michael Snare just drills a, go, a game-winning three-pointer. 
right in front of us. That's still one of the best moments I've seen as a basketball fan. But anyways, I had the Michael, I had the Austin Rivers Hornets jersey when he got drafted. I love the guy, and he just never panned out. So over the course of the, of the years, I've had to accept that he's just never going to be what I thought he was going to be and just accept that. So, But for me, it's disappointing to see his NBA career. I thought he could be a lot more than he was. Well, I'd say given where he was a few years ago to where he is now, he's potentially learning the game. I mean, let's not forget, he came out as a freshman. Yeah. So He could have used another year. He's a guy who could have used more than another year. But again, you know, look, one of your favorite players is J.J. Redick. Mm -hmm. It took J.J. Redick a couple of years to figure it out. Yeah, Sometimes it just takes these guys time to figure it out. And a guy like like Rivers, who at the end of the day is a great shooter, he could have a very, very long and successful career. Is he going to be as good? He's not really a great shooter, though. He's a volume scorer. He shoots off the dribble most of the time, and he's a scoring point guard. Um, He'd be... His best case scenario is to have like a Jamal Crawford type of career. Okay. But he's nowhere near Jamal Crawford. I take that back. I don't know why I said that. That's a horrible comparison. He cannot score like Jamal Crawford can. Basically, I'm done talking about Austin Rivers. He got way too much airtime for his career. <laughs> we should not have talked. He does not deserve this much airtime. I had a short little story to point out. We, we should not be talking about Austin Rivers right now. Last Moving pick, on. Last pick in the lottery is 14. Is the Denver Nuggets? Denver Nuggets arguably belonged in the playoffs this year. They missed it. They lost that playing game to the Timberwolves, but they look really good. And they're only going to get better. Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Jamal Murray. It's a great core they have there. And oh, how could I forget about Jokic? Jokic is going to be a stud. I don't know if you saw, but Kyle Kuzma did a top five. So people asking questions, they said, "What are your top? Who are your top five most underrated players in the league?" And he said, I think he said, he said, Kemba, Joe Ingles, Jokic, Bradley Beal, one other guy, and Drew, and Drew Holiday. And I took two things away from that tweet. Three things, actually. Three, one of the things is that people respect Joe Ingles. They respect Joe Ingles as a player. How can you not? Two... John Wall must really be the worst teammate because if all the NBA guys have the consensus that Bradley Beal is so damn good and he's so underrated, well, why is he underrated? Maybe because John Wall's taking more shots than him. John Wall can't put him in a position to succeed. That's a Wizards rant for another day, but I figured I had to point that out, that if all the NBA players, I think to me that's like the ultimate stamp of approval, a fellow NBA player labels you as underrated. And especially if you're labeling an all-star underrated, like, you must think he has top 10 player potential. And again, I think it's a huge knock. On I, that's John the biggest Wall. knock on John Wall. It's that you have an all-star, but he's still underrated in the eyes of another player. Like, that's horrible. I, I love Bradley Beal. I, I love, love Bradley his Beal game. Too. I, I hope think, he goes somewhere I, I else think, and can have a good it, career. It, it, I hope he gets traded uh, because I think, again, you can go on that Wizards rant another day, but yeah. uh, that team needs to get blown up, and Bradley Beal needs to find a new home so he can have a, a really, really, really successful anyway, winning I, career. I have a nice pick here. I have a nice pick. Um, the Nuggets don't need a superstar. They have a nice team, and a young core It's only going to get better. And they do have a kind of a hole at small forward slash power forward. And so, to me, what better guy to fill it than Keita Bates-Diop? He had an unbelievable year at Ohio State. Scoring the ball, 6-7, shoots it from three, can post up, put it on the deck, does it all, basically. And I think 
the Nuggets core is only going to get better. And I think a lot of people have them taking Robert Williams. I personally hate Robert Williams. I think he's 6'9 with no position. He has very limited skill other than being a dunker. He's undersized for a center, but he's has no game for a power forward in today's game. He can't shoot. I think Bates Diop is the perfect. Some people say he perfect 3-4. Some people say he's a tweener. I say he's flexible. They can play him at each of the two. I think he's capable of defending and giving them an offensive spark. I really like him a lot. Once again, like Kyrie Thomas, I don't know, think he'll go in the lottery, but I think he's definitely worthy of it. So, moving on from the NBA draft, that's that was a lot. That was a while. We did that for a while. Okay. Draft a lot. Yeah, whatever. I'll just say one thing about Keita Bates, and then you can move on mm-hmm. about him being a tweener. Let's just remember the Celtics basically built an entire team of tweeners. Yeah, that's very true. Their whole I philosophy think, is just it's, being it's, able to switch and guard well, and switch I think, and guard. I think, and someone made this comment, this is the consensus now. It's like you're not a tweener anymore, you're versatile. To me, the only tweener is the power forward center. Because the power forwards in this game are so versatile that if you're like, if you're Robert Williams and you're playing power forward, but you can't guard those guys and you have the, don't have a power forward offensive skill set, that's when I think you're a tweener. Guys like Robert Williams, 6'9". Dunker. Professional dunker. DeAndre Jordan, but like two inches shorter and a worse rebounder. But I think like there's no such thing as a shooting as a small forward, power forward tweener anymore because like the Celtics lineup next year could very well be Kyrie, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Gordon Hayward plus Harford and nobody's going to look at that lineup and say oh damn they got three tweeners they're going to look at that lineup and say when do we not get to play those guys why why I do not want to see those guys on the schedule and it's just versatility I mean you look at them now they're able to switch everything they're able to switch everything those guys can guard anyone they can switch they can talk they can help they can rotate and in today's day where you're kind of doubling in the post and then rotating and scrambling you need to be able to guard three or four people on the court. Like, we're done with those days other than when you really have a star of, like, you're locked up on him, and that's not going to change for the whole game. Other than when you have a guy like Kawhi Leonard on LeBron James, I think, or Kawhi Leonard on KD. Like, that doesn't really happen anymore. So I think KD Bayetz-Diop is very versatile, and I think he would add a good spark to this Nuggets team. And closing off the lottery, uh, that was a lot of good draft talk post lottery NBA draft is in about a month and that should be a very interesting night. So moving on, segueing to the NBA, I need to talk about officiating because we both have been in the same camp that the NBA needs to get their shit together from an officiating standpoint. And there's two main things that I w- need them need them and not want. I need them to focus on in the off season and it's deciding when that pump fake lean into them, into the defender, is a foul because we saw it last night when KD jumped, landed on the ground, t- foot touched the ground, Eric Gordon, while KD was on the ground, leaned to the side and then flung it up and they got a foul. And then we saw Paul George, pump fake, stay within himself. Like, not even leaning. Defender comes right into him, throw it up and not get a foul on a f- at the last possession of that, what was that, game six? Game six in Utah, I think it was. Five, yeah, so it was the last game of the series, which they eventually lost the series on. So I think the NBA needs to address that. And my thing is, if you're altering your shot to get a foul, and I'm not talking about placing the ball in a different thing, because then guys do that in the lane all the time. Like, they put it at an angle where they're going to maybe draw some contact. They dip their shoulder a little bit. 
if that if the guy is not if you're taking your jump shot and the defender is not going to draw contact with you and then you in turn lean in to bump into him and then throw it up that is not a foul i don't think that's a foul that's stretching the rule and supposedly they took out they dubbed it the d wade rule because he created that and they are supposed to take it out but the only reason only play they take took it out was on the most pivotal play of the whole season in which the rule was in effect which was the Paul George play. The rest of it, it's been horrible. They bail out offensive guys all the time, and I hate it so much. Simple rule. If it's not a natural motion, mm-hmm. you can't call a foul. Yeah, it, 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 that, that's what drives me absolutely bananas. It, it's so obvious. You don't need to be a rocket scientist here to figure this out. On that play last night with Eric Gordon, it was an absolute joke. Mm-hmm. Katie was on the side. Eric Gordon jumped up to his right yeah. to take a jump shot from three. Yeah, it's does. just not a natural that motion, and there's no need for it. So it's one of the few things that drives me nuts about the officiating. I think I have a tough job. I'll give them that. But there's some obvious things that you can do to just be logical and smart mm-hmm. and just to keep yeah. it better. And then the second thing is they are going to need to take a hard look, and Reggie Miller was saying on on the call last night, Jeff Van Gundy has been saying it for the whole year, what is a flagrant foul? Because I saw DeMar DeRozan try to do a chase down block on on a Cavs player in game four, and he went for the ball. Yes, when you go to block a shot, you wind up. Yes. Be quiet, Sakalkis. That's that's probably my least favorite thing in the NBA. When they go, we're gonna go to Sakalkis and have them explain why hitting a head, hitting a guy on the head by accident warrants an ejection. There's no explanation. You don't play basketball and think that that is a basketball play. To me, a flagrant is when it's not a basketball play. I'll give them their excessive contact thing. But to me, excessive contact is not hitting guy in the head. You hit a guy in the head. You missed the you missed the ball. It happens. You were going for the ball. To me, excessive contact is shoving a guy in the back with two hands while he's in the air going to catch the oop. But that somehow is a flagrant one. J.R. Smith did not get thrown out of that game for whatever reason. That is the dirtiest play in basketball. Pushing a guy in the back while he's in the air. J.R. Smith was so damn blatant about it, he knew it right away. He's like, oh, shit, why'd I do that? Like, you, the camera was on him. You look at his face. He was so guilty. He was, he was so guilty. And I just don't understand, like, how our basketball plays now warrant, how do basketball plays warrant an ejection and the dirtiest play in basketball is a flagrant one? Again, it comes back to logic, okay? Simple logic. That play, it, what's mind-boggling to me also is that the next day, and we were in the car talking about Oh, this. yeah, the they, they go day, back and review it, and it's still not. It's still and, not. And, and, and we still don't have a flagrant two, which, by the way, and I think it was Jalen Rose who made the comment, was, look, it, you can have a flagrant two. He's not going to get suspended. It's not going to change the game, but it sends a message. Mm-hmm. And the league opted not to send the message that we're not going to tolerate plays like this. And if, it just makes absolutely no sense. If, if someone can get hurt, you're talking about games. You know, some of these games, look. The, the game last night for uh, Golden State, it was a 20-point game. If someone's not going to get tossed for pushing somebody as they go up in the air, 
what's going to prevent them from doing it? You've got guys in there with bad, you know, bad tempers. They get frustrated. Emotions are flying high. You have to set the rules. You got to set the parameters Mm -hmm. so these guys don't get hurt because you know what? If one of those guys gets hurt in a key moment or, or not even a key moment and it's gone, it's going to go back to that moment where they refuse to discipline them. Right. And kudos to Marcus smart for going straight at J.R. Smith after that. And this is when, you know, J.R. Smith, when J.R. Smith doesn't, when J.R. Smith allows, like, kind of fights back, but doesn't really fight back, you know he's guilty. Like, if J.R. Smith felt that there he was not, that it was not warranted to come at him, he would have swung right back at Marcus Smart. But he kind of said, you know what, come at me, you're right. Like, to me, that says it all. And they're going to have to address that because I hate it. I hate it so much. There's nothing that kills me more when they go to review these common fouls and come up with these flagrant explanations by the way if Draymond Green does that I think he gets suspended for the next two games despite it being like they'll make up a rule that warrants Draymond Green being suspended for the next like two games if he pushes someone the back like that I'd have to agree I mean dude gets a tech for hitting LeBron the balls after LeBron steps over him we won't revisit that we won't revisit that next topic the Celtics series I want to say that the results are surprising, but I really don't. Th- they're not that surprising. They are. They are because LeBron James looks vulnerable. Not maybe not him, but LeBron. A team led by LeBron James for the first time since the 2015 Finals, and scrap that the 2011 Finals. LeBron James, a team led by him looks vulnerable and they look like they don't know what to do well i think everyone's got to be surprised at the way the celtics are playing i mean remember no hayward no Kyrie. first time in the playoffs yes for a rookie tatum Tatum. yes okay we yeah the guy's genius okay The, the front office and coaching staff of the celtics anybody in the east has to be scared because i i think it's they're gonna go on one of those decade-long runs I mean, of just being absolutely fantastic. Because Stevens is a guy that people are going to want to go play for. Yeah, yeah. So that's going to be a huge And component. by the way, Gordon Hayward went to the Celtics because he knew what was good with Brad Stevens before everyone else did. He's like, dude, I know this guy is like, I know this guy's the goods as a coach. Like, I'm going to go play for him. Like, that was essentially why he went there was to play for him. And I saw a tweet. I don't know if you guys remember Matt Howard. You definitely remember him. Matt Howard. Mm-hmm. Big white, big man for yep. Butler, played under um, Brad Stevens for those two cha- championship years. He was on the team with Gordon Hayward. Then he stuck around and was on the team with Shelvin Mack when they went back to the championship the next year against UConn, I think that was UConn and Kemba. And he said the greatest thing about that play that they ran for Horford in game four in Philly, game four in Philly, mm-hmm. the confetti game. We'll, yep. we'll dub that the confetti game where he ran the play for Horford where he drew everyone out to towards half court and just created endless space for Horford to lob it up. And he said, we ran that play against Green Bay and pulled up the box score. They won by two on the last second layup. He's like, we ran that exact same play seven years ago in a college game. And the fact that people don't think Horford was the primary option shows how genius the play is. And that's why Gordon Hayward want to go there. He's like, that guy's running the same stuff he was at Butler, and it's working. Imagine if I go there, me, Kyrie, Tatum, Brown, Rozier. It, who's beating them? Oh, in, in the coming Stevens years? Stevens is going to coach no for the next 20 years. Stevens is going to coach for the next 20 years. 
They all have these guys on contract until about 2021. Then Rozier expires. They're going to have to decide what they want to do with Rozier, Marcus Morris, and those smart, those role guys. But, like, for me, you're maxing out Tatum once he gets you're maxing out Tatum once he gets off his rookie contract. Yeah, like, you're maxing out Jalen Brown when he gets off his rookie contract. And in two years when Kyrie Irving's up, you sign him to a long-term deal. Because no matter who surrounds you, I think you have those three, no one's beating you. Well, okay, but remember, you have Hayward on the long-term deal right now, max contract. So somebody, so, somewhere along the way, someone's going to have to go Golden State Warriors and give up a little yeah. bit of money. Yeah. And if they're willing to give up the money, and then you can keep them together. I and think hopefully I, by then, Kyrie will have already made a lot of money. He already would have been on a big contract, mm-hmm. and maybe he'll be willing to do it um, a little bit. But if you don't, if no one's willing to give up money, I think, I it's going to be hard to keep those four that's together. Fair, that's fair. I think Kyrie. I think Kyrie is the type of guy to give. Up. I think Gordon Hayward's the type of guy to give up money. I think Kevin Durant. What KD says is valid. That he wants a little bit of a salary, wants a little bit more money because he kind of feels like the Warriors taking advantage of him, which is completely fair. KD should get superstar money. But this is kind of what he signed up for when he wants to go to this super team. Agreed. But he does deserve a little bit more money. But I think Kyrie, by the time his contract's up, he will be 28 years old. He would have been in the league for nine years. He would have accumulated God knows how much money. And he left Cleveland because that's not the situation he wanted. He's in Boston, and he's in the perfect situation. He doesn't seem like the guy to me that's going to go crying to some other place just so he can get more money. I think he thinks he's in the perfect situation, and if he's and he's already made over $100 million playing this game, he needs to take a little pay cut to keep the guys together. I think he'll do it, and I think Gordon Hayward feels the exact same way. I agree, way. but so coming back to being surprised about the series, I think you have to be a little bit surprised at the way some of these guys are playing. Yeah. I mean, again, you have basically playoff rookies and yes Stevens is a great coach but Stevens is a playoff rookie coach and mm-hmm. the fact that no one is blinking and what's year, going on right now, last year, right, year but the fact that no one is blinking right now I think is pretty impressive um, but again coming back to how are you going to beat the Cavs you're going to beat the Cavs by being able to try to at least a slow down LeBron which they were able to do I, in the I first even, game they couldn't do it in the second game but I, b trying to be fast enough on your switches and everything to, to go me, and get out on the outside shooters and to make it more difficult for them to score so that if a game like number two in game two where LeBron does go off for 40 plus points no one else is really in a position yeah. to do it and I think Again, coming back to there's no tweeners on the Celtics. They all can get out. They all can guard. They all can switch. And even when you come off the bench, you've got guys like uh, Morris can come off the bench, plays well. Smart comes off the bench and plays well. Again, all these guys are big, strong, kind of quick guys. Is that me, Ojale? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I I think switching is the key. I think LeBron wouldn't even be in my game plan on how to beat the Cavs because – you can beat the Cavs. The Warriors showed us, and now I'm not saying the Cavs are the Warriors, but the Warriors showed us LeBron can average 35, 12, 12, and lead the team in everything, and you can still beat them 4-1. to one. I think the key is shutting off all the other assets that make this team go. There's no Kyrie anymore, so you don't need to worry about that. Your sole focus is shutting off Kyle Korver, shutting off J.R. Smith, which they've done, and I would say shutting off Jordan Clarkson and Rodney Hood because those are the guys that the Cavs are supposed to get production from off the bench. But you don't even need to. They're shutting themselves off. Uh, there was a tweet, and it was like, the Raptors, and this is Dwayne Casey, by the way, the Raptors are <laughs> denying Jordan Clarkson and not letting him touch the ball. That's a pretty good strategy for the Cavs. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Jordan Clarkson just can't score. Rodney Hood 
is so mentally messed up right now, and the guys do not you can't you how do you like that guy right now if you're the Cavs? I, I, listen, any guy who's it, it goes back to you know Scotty Pippen. Yeah. You, you don't want to go in the game. If you don't want to go in the game, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. yeah, you're a pro. You're getting paid millions of dollars. It's your job. Get your ass off the bench and get in the game. Yeah. I. So they hate Rodney Hood. Jordan Clarkson can't put the ball in the bucket. Half the, Tristan Thompson has zero offensive skill. He has no offensive skill that they're willing to just let Marcus Morris play one-on-one defense on Tristan Thompson. And Terry Rozier play one-on-one defense against Tristan Thompson because the chance of him actually converting an offensive skill move, a post hook, or a drop step, are so low that it's just like, oh, they gave the ball Tristan Thompson in the post. Like That's what we'll live with. He's LeBron's boy, though. He is LeBron's boy, though. And someone said, I was some, I was at tryouts yesterday, and someone was like, oh, LeBron's going to be a sick GM when he's older. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, oh, yeah, he's going to go straight to the front office. Like, he's going to be a coach or a GM. I'm like, dude, he's the GM right now. He's the GM right now, and look at the damn team. Now, I get maybe if he's in the front office, he won't have as many ties to players. He won't worry about who he likes and not. But Tristan Thompson, get that contract out of here. J.R. Smith, get that, like... You can't win with those guys at this point. And you can't just ship off IT. I get he was on a bad hip. But you can't just ship him off after two, after literally a month of him playing because you don't think you like him. Like, you literally got nothing out of that trade. Think about it. You gave up Kyrie and you gave up... You gave up Kyrie and you gave up like some other guy. But you gave up Kyrie, right? Kyrie's gone when you really need him right now. You really need Kyrie right well, everybody now. Everybody needs Kyrie. I mean, come on. But they especially need him because no one can create other than LeBron's. And that we already talked about how that makes him very, very tired. And you got, in turn, you got Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas. Theoretically, which should be good pieces. Now, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jay Crowder was good in Boston, sucked in Cleveland, and then now is being going back to being good in Utah again. Like, he's not as good as he was in Boston, but he's, Making an impact. Like, he made zero impact in Cleveland. You also got Isaiah Thomas, who you shipped him out. You shipped him out for Isaiah. You got you shipped out those two guys, and you got Rodney Hood, you got Jordan Clarkson, and you got George Hill. None of which are providing you with anything right now. None of, nothing. None of those three guys. They kept George Hill at point guard. They're trying to make him be more aggressive. He's George Hill. They have Rodney Hood. Rodney Hood's a mental basket case. Jordan Clarkson, as one of the lowest IQs I've ever seen, he hasn't met a shot he hasn't liked, and that's not a good thing. It's not like the Kobe hasn't met a shot he doesn't like. He's going to take everything, and he's going to score, and he's going to do all this, and he's going to lead us to a W. It's Jordan Clarkson hasn't met a shot he doesn't like, and it's bad for the team. So those three guys are giving you no value, and basically all you have from that trade is that number eight pick which should be Trey Young if he's available, but they don't have Trey Young right now, and they have nobody right now. And so my game plan to shut off is shut off the help guys, and you do that by switching and rotating, and that's what they've been doing right now. Very, very well. I mean, do you think it gets to five? I don't know. I think game three is going to be huge. I think the first five minutes of game three are going to be huge. I think if you'll be able to tell if the Cavs officially gave up, 
Oh, they're not giving up because I mean, look, look at what LeBron did in game in LeBron, the beginning of game, uh, the but, beginning of game two. He came in, he scored. It doesn't 20, matter. We talked about this. You, it, you were the one who were I, like it doesn't matter. I said it doesn't matter. It doesn't LeBron matter. can go off for twenty one points in the first half, and I said, well, how are they going to feel when they're up four at the end of the quarter? And they were exactly up four at the end of the quarter. I mean, well, it's just unrealistic. LeBron had twenty one points on thirteen shots in the first quarter. One, it's not realistic. Okay, multiply that by four. He's not going for eighty four points nope. on fifty two shots. You can't do that. And he exerted all that energy, and you're up four. He, like, LeBron, and LeBron, here's what I think. I've always preached that LeBron is so great at knowing when he needs to go full throttle by himself and get his teammates more involved. I don't think, I think, I don't think he did a good job of that. I don't think you can go on and off quarters when you want to get someone involved and when you don't I don't think it works like that this isn't my career where it's like one one quarter you're going for points with your my player and the next quarter you're going for assists with your my player to boost your teammate grade like that's not how this works we saw this in game one with Houston like it's not even that your teammates are getting shots they need to feel engaged if you're you can't you're essentially starting the game off cold because LeBron has literally taken every shot in the first quarter your teammates aren't engaged and it just, it, I, I don't think, you can't go whole quarters. You can't take 13 shots in a quarter. And I will never knock that performance by him because it was absolutely nuts. Absolutely nuts. To do what he did, he was hitting unreal shots. But I think he needs to know, and I think this was him in, inside his own head, that he needs to shut up the people that said he had a trash game one, and he needs to show people that game one was a feel-out game. Well, guess what? The Celtics, it was a feel-out game, too. And they're going to let you go go crazy in quarter one, LeBron. Go crazy. See how your teammates feel about it and see how much you have left in the tank when we go to make a run with five minutes left in the third quarter. Listen, I, I think it's a... It, it, I like LeBron. I respect LeBron. I shouldn't say that. I respect LeBron. I'm not the biggest LeBron fan at all. You can't deny he's not great. I, I will great. never deny it. Listen, just because I... Again, he is... Beyond great. He's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Okay. He really is. He the guy does it all. Um, I think he sometimes tries to do a little bit too much, which I think is exactly to your point of what happened in game two. I think he unfortunately does take games off, which is what happened in game one. And unfortunately, when he tries to go full throttle on offense, it, you he does not have the capacity to burn it at both ends on of the defense, floor. Yeah. He this is where again he differs a little bit from Jordan. Now I'll listen to the arguments that people say Jordan didn't have to have. Well, the Jordan workload. wasn't Jordan, Jordan wasn't a facilitator. To, Jordan he didn't have to facilitate yeah. everything. Jordan have to do this. Jordan have to didn't have to rebound. Okay, fine. It was a little bit of a different game, but. but tell everybody what happened when you went to look at Jordan's stats the other day. I uh, I I. <laughs> It was after LeBron hit the game-winning runner in Game Three, and I was like, "Wow! Like I've never seen anything like this. This is greatness." And then I figured my dad was like, "Oh, you before you call LeBron the goat, like go look at Jordan's stats." And I was actually blown away. I didn't know Jordan literally went like, "It's actually foolish of me to make this argument that Jordan was this and to never really go in depth with his stats." And to all you LeBron stands on Twitter talking about Jordan didn't do this, Jordan didn't do that, like go look at those stats. Like this ten time scoring title champ like 10 years in a row going 37 35 33 35 33 32 31 30 like that's dominance and not to take anything away from LeBron but Jordan was damn dominant like you can't take it away the funniest tweet I saw is I don't know if you saw they're doing a 10-hour documentary on Jordan on Netflix it was just announced and Jamal Crawford sent out a tweet, and he said, Jordan Hergel arguing about LeBron, and he said, bring out the tapes. <laughs> 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 I 
I'm telling you, the, the guy, and again, remember, he did this without really three-point shooting. Yeah. That was not a dominant piece. He did it against the Pistons. He did it against the Knicks. Dude, that guy used to go into the lane and get absolutely positively hammered. He wasn't 6'7", 275 yeah. like LeBron is. He got the shit kicked out of him every single day, and he didn't stop. He was an absolute dog. And again, growing up as a Knicks fan, he crushed us more times than I ever want to know. Posterized Starks, posterized Ewing. It was just, it was just absolutely horrible. But at the end of the day, um, there was nobody like him. There just, yep. there wasn't. But Le- there's also nobody like LeBron. In That's fine. Sense. But you know what? He's got six championships to LeBron's two, three, or three. And LeBron's not getting to six, and LeBron's not. Uh, and, and LeBron's Jordan, not getting to and, four. And, and and if Jordan didn't have some of the gambling problems that took him out of the game for a little while, <laughs> he may have gotten um, more. You know, because let's be real, he didn't really want to go to play minor league baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, if he didn't have those issues, he might have had eight. I, I don't want this to turn to LeBron Jordan argument. I hate that argument. True. I hate not. I hate being the guy that doesn't want to argue about it, but I hate being the guy to demand. I hate. More than I hate being the guy that doesn't want to argue about it, I hate being the guy that takes away from each player's greatness to demise one another to put one above the other. They're both great in their independent ways, and I'm done arguing about this. This, this conversation goes in circles, and I hate it. Anyways, back to the point at hand. The Celtics are doing this thing. I heard a name for it, and I blanked on it, but basically, it's when the Cavs do their mismatch, where they get... And the Cavs get a guy like Kevin Love in the post off the pick and roll. And they're switching. And the Celtics have switched with a guy like Terry Rozier guarding Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson in the post. And what the Celtics will do is the guy in the corner, whether it's Al Horford, Jason Tatum, Marcus Morris, a better matchup where he'll hedge towards the center. He'll shade towards the center of the floor into the paint. And he'll basically... While the big man up top is trying to make a hard entry pass, he'll come and drag the guard away from the big man to get a better matchup. And they've been doing this very, very effectively for the entire series. So it's minimizing their effect of the switch, quote-unquote. And that's what we talked about. The Cavs are rotating well. They're talking. They're switching. And they're versatile. And in the end, you beat the Cavs by shutting off their other options. And that's exactly what they've done. So moving on to the other series is the Warriors-Rockets series. And that was very, very interesting last night because we watched the styles basically flip from game one. James Harden had more dribbles than Curry, Calais, and Durant combined. And last night, and we talked about, you you told me this, that, and it was that the Warriors are undefeated in the playoffs when they have over 300 passes in a game. And their only losses are when they didn't do that. And I would bet a lot that they did not have 300 passes last night. They did not play Warriors basketball last no, night. No. They really, it, and as we were watching the game, and they, they wouldn't go away. And if I'm a Rockets mm-hmm. fan, I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, can we just put these guys away? Can we just put these guys away? Because they have so much firepower. And you know it's only a matter of time before somebody gets loose. But they weren't playing their game. And mm-hmm. I think because they weren't playing their game, they couldn't get over the hump. We had a couple of times they got it down to 10, 12. Draymond missed a layup that could have cut it to 8. Um, then they recovered after going back down 19. They just didn't play their game, whereas mm-hmm. the Rockets last night played, I'd call it, Golden State basketball. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
I want to talk about Draymond real quick because I think for the first time in a while, Draymond, we always say you need a guy like Draymond on your team. You need the firepower. You need the guy who does it all, the glue guy. But for the last night, I think Draymond's, the way that he's always either yelling at a teammate or yelling at a ref, demoralized the Warriors when you're down and out. And he didn't exactly play a good game. Like, let's not get carried away. This is not KD yelling at guys. This is Draymond yelling at guys who was like 2 of 8 from the field with 6.6 rebounds and 6 assists with a lot of defensive lapses. And... He was either yelling at his teammates or yelling at the ref, and I think it's demoralizing to look over. And I think that took a toll on the whole team to look over and see your leader not having his head in the game whatsoever, not focused on the task at hand. And the task at hand is to execute and to come back and play your game and get back to your style. And the Warriors, like, even though they didn't go away, it was about, like, the third quarter when they were down 15 and they just came down and chucked up two threes in a row. Like... And it was interesting because this Warriors team with Durant has never been tested before in a meaningful game. They got bailed out that Kawhi got hurt last year in the Western Conference Finals, and they rolled through the finals. They had never been tested, and when they were tested for the first time with KD, they got away from their game. And I think that was an interesting thing to watch because it's easy It's easy when it's going your way. It's easy when you're just flowing and playing your game. But what happens when you get out of sync, when you turn the ball over seven times, in the first quarter, most of them unforced turnovers. When the Rockets are hitting their shots, like, what do you do? How do you respond? And they did not respond well, and I think Draymond not having his head in the game was a part of that. I think also is Curry. I think part of it is he's still lingering in that injury, but I think part of it is he just gets mugged in the playoffs. He gets mugged, period, but in the offseason, they call it in the playoffs. They don't. He probably could have had two or three and ones last night. He only went to the line once. He gets. He's getting... Picked on on defense when he's not a horrible defender. He's just not physical enough for Harden and CP3, which are two big guards, stronger guards. And it's tough for him because they need him out there on offense, but he's having a tough time on defense. And I think the Warriors need to do a better job of not giving in to the switch. I think they've, they allowed Curry to get switched onto Harden way too easily. It got to the point where the Rockets weren't even running a pick and roll anymore. They're kind of just interchanging, and Curry would just flip onto him. It was, it, <laughs> I didn't understand. They kind of have two guys come into the area, and exactly. next thing you know, Curry's exactly. guarding Harden. I, and I don't understand that because you don't want Curry guarding Harden yeah. theoretically, but he, you allowed him to just switch onto him every time with no resistance. So I think the Warriors have time to drop some defensive strategy, maybe... Uh, I I think Calais. Why is not Calais on Harden? Calais a great defender. I haven't seen Calais on Harden once, so I think they're gonna have time to go over that. I think they need to tighten up their defensive defensive strategy. I guess I, I would call it. I guess I don't even know what I would call it. Also, intensity, communication. Like there were times I'm not at the game. I don't hear these players, but there were times when you could tell they were not talking, and it hurt them. And they can't afford that against this Rockets team. Yeah, and I think the issue with Steph happens to be a little bit of what you're talking about with LeBron, which is he's being forced to play the defensive side mm-hmm. of the floor. Yeah. And it's definitely taking a toll out of him. And I think, yeah, he's getting the crap beat out of him. He's getting the crap beat out of him on defense because he's getting shouldered and bodied 
every single time one of those guys decides to go to the lane, and every single time Curry decides to get into traffic, he's getting absolutely hammered. And every time he tries to, you know, cut through the lane so he can get an open three, he's mm-hmm. getting bodied and hip checked all over the place and pulled and grabbed. And all things that don't happen in the regular season, they're happening now. And this isn't the first NBA playoff season that we've seen where he has had his struggles. And I mm-hmm. think the game does change a little bit. Um, he doesn't get the calls. And I think he's he's going to continue to struggle if he can't get a little bit of help on defense. On defense. I think and defense so that he can take – it's not that he's taking a breather, but, again, you see it with LeBron. LeBron doesn't play defense. Yeah, outside, really, of, yeah. outside of the highlight reel when he chases somebody down to make a block off the backboard, mm-hmm. his defense is absolutely horrible because he's using all his energy on offense. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? Like you said, they're picking on Steph. So he doesn't have the luxury of not playing defense. He's being forced to play defense, and therefore I think it's making it harder and harder on him offensively, and it's taking the entire team in the second game out of rhythm. I think the Celtics have been doing a very good job of this, and I think it's a lost art for some reason in the Warriors' game plan. We focus on getting the the offensive matchup that we want as an offensive player. We want that defensive matchup, the defensive mismatch, I'm sorry. But why isn't the defense focused on getting the, the matchup they want? The Rockets didn't run any complicated sets. The Warriors need to focus on getting Klay Thompson or Andre Iguodala on James Harden. They need, they, they need to make that a priority. They can't just roll the ball and say, oh, if they screen, you switch. Because you can't afford to have Curry guard Harden. One, Curry can't really defend Harden. And two, it's taxing on him when he gets the ball on offense. And you need Curry on offense. You can't afford Curry going 6 of 15, 1 of 8 from 3. You can't afford that. So I think they need to make it a big priority to not have Curry on Harden. Or if Curry Curry is going to guard Harden, get some help. But I think the Rockets did a great job. I think there's a fine line between playing your offense through a player and having him ISO. I think the Cavs get lost in that of relying on LeBron to ISO rather than playing through him. I think game one, the Rockets ISO James Harden, which is why I took all those dribbles. And I think in game two, they played through James Harden. They still played through the ISO, but when James Harden was driving, it felt much more like he was kicking to a wide-open shooter or he was starting a defensive rotation. There was one possession where the Warriors literally were scrambling for about 10 seconds, 12 seconds. And if you're a real basketball fan, you're like, wow, like the Warriors, that's crazy defensive rotations from the Warriors. Like Every guy, they seem to have a good closeout except in the corner, and Draymond Green had a great rotation, but a bullshit closeout. And he goes flying like he's going to jump block the three-point shot into the stands, and he's going to swap the three-point shot all the way into the third row, and he goes flying, pump fake, draw the defender from the top, wide open three for Eric Gordon. So, I mean, outside of that, the Warriors really, like, did it. I think they did a decent job of rotating, but I think it got to the point where it was too much because James Harden, James Harden, Chris Paul, Eric Gordon, Trevor Ariza were getting right by their man. And it, once you get you get beat, the help is going to come from somewhere. And the, with the Rockets, that help, help the helper rotation often doesn't get there in time. And that was why P.J. Tucker went 5-6 from 3 and Eric Gordon was getting 3s. Like, that's the difference. I think the Warriors really need to focus on their defense because I think if they tune it up on defense, I think their offense comes along with it. And I also think that it's unlikely that the role players are going to have. Oh yeah, the yeah. Game you're never going to get. I mean, come on. That, yeah, those you're not going to get. Play, uh, th- those from Ariza, Gordon, and Peter yeah. Tucker, you're not going to get epic that again. games. And listen, you may not. You may get better games from CP3. You may get a better game from Harden. But at the end of the day, 
uh, similar to the being able to live with LeBron putting up 42. You can live with Harden putting up 42. The question is, is when your defense is scrambling all over the place, which is what they had to do, and you have Ariza and Gordon and Tucker hitting every single shot out there, they didn't miss key shots. And again, when the Warriors missed key shots. And the Warriors missed key shots by big people. So mm-hmm. I, I think at the end of the day, the Warriors still pull this out. I they do so. have home court I advantage. So. Um, I think they probably do take both games uh, in Golden State. They probably mm-hmm. go back to Houston, and maybe Houston can squeak one out at home. But at the worst-case scenario, I think it's Golden State in six. I, I think it's unlikely that this is going to be seven games uh, in Houston. I, I think it was also a wake-up call for those Warriors. Like I said, this is the first team, this new team, first time this new team was tested. And when you're not being tested and you're in the Western Conference Finals, you're kind of just rolling. So I think this was a wake-up call. And KD said it. He goes, we're not invincible. We're just the juggernaut of the NBA. And I think that's perfectly said. Like, they are the juggernaut, but it's important for them to know that they're not invincible. And that's what happened last night. It's important for them to know you can't turn the ball over seven times in the first quarter just throwing the ball away and expect to win the game against a 65-win team in the Houston Rockets. And the fact that they were even in the game with a chance to maybe, if they hit a couple shots here and there, get a couple stats here and there, they're in the game with a chance to win it, shows to me that they're the better team than the Rockets and the more talented team. But this isn't a series where the Golden State Warriors can play like shit and get away with the winning. Like, the Rockets are really damn good. Rockets are legit. They, they can't play like shit and get away with it. And I think the one disappointing thing to me as far as last night's game is concerned from Golden State is I do think you had a chance to put the hammer down. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's I mean, that's and, and you Nick, didn't. And th- our, that to me is a guy, huge thing. Our guy Nick Wright was saying that Nick, right. Nick Wright has about 25 percent of his basketball opinions, I would say, are true. And I would say that number increases to about 50 percent when it's not talking about LeBron. I think he provides great insight when he's not talking about LeBron. But carry on. I just had to put that. in. But there. again, to Nick Wright's point, I think they had a chance to really, really, really just step on the throat of the Rockets yeah. and prove that this is. You know, this is our town. This is our game. This is our trophy. This is our and, game. It's our and, league. And, and you're it's not. And it's our league. And you're not going to come and get it. And they gave them life. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't know what it ends up being again. I think at the end of the day, Golden State pulls it out. I think they pull it out in six. But it didn't have to be that way. And they were so close. They were really so close. If they could have just gotten a couple of key stops, made a couple of key shots, mm-hmm. and they were open shots. They got good looks. Let's they uh, had let's, good looks. The they Rockets are not locking you down. Right. They by had no a means. chance, and they and and it was just kind of disappointing that they didn't pull it out. Um, you know, I love the way they play. I I love the way they hustle. I love the way they share the ball. Um, that to me is great basketball. Mm-hmm. I'll have to say, relative to Game Two, it was actually a lot of fun to watch the Rockets play yesterday. Yeah, it was. Because it they was. played great team basketball and were passing the ball and moving around. I mean, the Warriors were literally scrambling half the time on defense. Yeah. So that happened to have been fun. So listen, if both teams are going to play like that, uh, I think it'll be a phenomenal series. And at a bare bones minimum, if you know the Rockets end up pulling it out, good for them. And hopefully they'll go out and. Beat the Cavs, yeah. or actually at this point in time, they're probably going to beat the Celtics because I don't whoever, think the Cavs are winning. Whoever is there. I, just, I mean, I think the key, I think Warriors need to focus a lot of defensive emph- emph- emphasis because when you have when you, you have a team with Kevin Durant, Klay Thompson, Steph Curry, the two best shooters in the league and arguably another top five shooter in the league, and in my opinion, the best score in the world, offense is going to come to you. Like You don't have to worry about that. 
you get away from your game when you're desperate, and you're desperate because you can't get defensive stops and you can't stay in front of your man. So I think if you take care of the defensive end, you stay in front of your man, you get your rotations right, you get your matchups right, I think your offense comes with your defense, one, because you're going to be running more and you're going to be out in transition with with numbers and mis- and mismatches four on three three on three on two whatever it is you're gonna have numbers because you're running and you're gonna get transition threes which they love KD loves his pull up and Curry and Kaleo they all love their transition threes but I think they got desperate because they looked down onto the other end and said we just can't get a stop let's jack up some threes and try to cut the lead down when that's not Warriors basketball not all three of them were guilty of it KD was guilty of it KD played a hell of a game you can never take that away from him but even he was guilty of taking a couple of shots that he probably shouldn't have taken because they couldn't get it. They couldn't get stops. So I think the main key for them, I think they're still, ha- I think they still have the upper hand in the series. But I think it's going to be very key for them to get their defense, their defense right. And I think to get back to sharing the ball. Yeah. Because I think that they could give up the extra points on defense if they can yeah, execute on offense. That's true. But to me, in that setting, like if you're, if you get your defense taken care of everything else falls into place when the team's that good defense wins championships let's not forget it but again let's also not forget that you are playing against the 65 team win win team in the rockets you Mm -hmm. are playing against james harden who is one of the best offensive players in the league right now you're playing with cp against cp3 who has a chip on his shoulder who feels like he has a lot to prove so you are playing against a good offensive team and Again, if they have their role players knocking down shots, um, it's it's going to be an offensive series. So, yes, you have to get the defense right. There's no doubt about it. But I think they were in a position last night, again, to win. And they didn't win partially because they didn't execute on defense, but they didn't Uh, win because they didn't execute on offense. The game game was there. There were opportunities for them to get over the hump. And if you get to 8 and 6 and all of a sudden then – Harden and CB3 start pressing. They start feeling like they're the ones who have to make the game-winning shot and the big play. And unfortunately for them, they've proven that they are not exactly primetime players in those spots. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, the sphincter starts to get a little bit bit tighter, and they start missing shots. And next thing you know, eight and six, it's four and three, and you take the lead and you win the game. Yeah, I I think... I completely agree with everything you just said, but I do think it's hard to win the game when you let your team opponent score 127 points. That's really hard to do. Yeah, those last again, that, that last that that last 10 or 15 points, that those are meaningless. As soon as we, as soon as they got the, they got it down to 10 or 12. They got it down to 10, and then they got it down to 19. They got it down to 10. Draymond missed the layup, and then Eric Gordon hit that step back three, they, they, and they, they was game over. It, 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 it doesn't matter. They gave up. By the way, you you like that LeBron. Uh, crazy memory I got there. Do you see that 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 was going on? No. What? LeBron was basically in the press conference and he recounted like a three possession like swing. Oh, I did see in the that. series. Like pivotal swing. Everyone remembers. Trust me, you're gonna remember if Marcus Smart pulls up in, in your mouth for a three. You're gonna remember that. And then you remember Jason Tatum getting that Euro step. Like even I remember that. And it was a week ago. Like to me, the media was like. Oh, LeBron played like shit, but his memory was so good. Like, get out of here. Like, I'm a basketball player. Those scenarios are running through my head 20 minutes after the game, too. Trust me, you remember those. That was not just, he didn't just name any random possession. He named a pivotal swing when the Celtics marked their territory in that game one. Like, get out of here with that. Get out of here with that. Anyways, 
Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. It's great having my dad on here again. Some playoff talk and some draft talk. Before we leave, I want to gra- congratulate my guy Justin Moore from DeMath on his commitment to Villanova. It was a couple weeks ago, but I haven't been on here in a while. So I just want to congratulate him for that. He still has one more year left of high school, but Villanova is taking over college basketball. They're taking over the DMV. Got Brandon Slater going there next year. So Villanova staying relevant. They are not going away. Anyways, signing off on the Jake and the Pain podcast with my dad. Thank you guys for tuning in.